Hey there, and welcome back to my weekly show after my short vacation hiatus. I spend a week walking a total of 160 kilometers, and then I spend two weeks in Ireland. I'm going to tell you all about it in this show, and we need to catch up on everything that happened in these past three weeks. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And this episode is brought to you by my patrons. They support me on a monthly basis and you can join their community. And in return, I will give you an extra podcast every week. And wait, there is more. Not just do you get an extra podcast, but I will work hard to give you exclusive video content as well. And one of the things that you can look forward to as a patron is my uh, my documentary about Ireland that I shot entirely on my Asus Zenfone 6. And I'm currently editing it. And uh, I can tell you stories about Ireland, but it's much cooler to see it with your own eyes. So join the patrons. You can do that for as little as $1 a month. Um, and in return, I will, I will give you some extra stuff to enjoy. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. The good part of Ireland, that supposes that there is a bad part of Ireland. And uh, it's my it's been my experience over the past two weeks that there is no bad part of Ireland. Uh, I've been both to uh, regular Ireland and to Northern Ireland. And it is such an amazing country. So beautiful. The people are friendly. Uh, the history is amazing. Nature is stunning. The weather was awesome as well. One of the great differences with the rest of Europe was that it was actually quite... Uh, uh, cool in in Ireland. We had a little bit of rain on the first day and then it was just kind of overcast, sometimes some sun, temperatures around 22 degrees Celsius. A huge difference, like half of the of the temperature in other parts of Europe where uh, the, the, uh, uh, the temperatures rose to about 42 degrees Celsius. Uh, I'm so glad I missed that. <laughs> I mean, I like warm summer days, but... I don't like to be in a microwave. So uh, I was very lucky. It, it, it was a, a really interesting vacation. I've seen a lot of things. Also quite exhausting because we did so much hiking and climbing. And not to mention that, of course, uh, right after I came back, I had to go back to work, go to the parishes. And I'm still, I, I kind of need a vacation of my vacation and, and, and get some extra sleep. Um, and also physically, it, it's been really, really uh uh, a challenge. And not to mention that, of course, before that, I went on this wor- walk of the world, which was this uh, huge walking event in the Netherlands, four days, uh, where you walk between 40 or 50 kilometers every single day. I walked for uh, for charity. Um, that was a great experience, too. I talk a little bit about, uh, about that in my episode of The Walk for uh, this week, so you can find that over at tridio.com. And that's also where I uh, share some of my experiences in Ireland. But of course, this show is too short to talk about all that. Um, And I'm working on this video uh, uh, report or this documentary about my experiences in Ireland. And it's uh, I'm so happy with what I've been able to shoot. Even though I only used my phone, I was traveling super light. Nowadays with these uh, uh, price fighters, like I, I flew with Ryanair, um, they reduced the 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 what is it the luggage that you can take with you even more unless you pay more. But then 
these prices are insane. It's like half of the ticket that you pay for an extra uh, uh, piece of luggage. So I always kind of take up the challenge and see how light I can pack. So this time I had a, a tiny bag, literally as, as big as a 24-inch monitor. Um, it, it's like 50 centimeters uh, tall and 40, 50 by 40 by 40. Really super, super small. Um, that's why I didn't take any cameras with me. I didn't even take my iPad or my computer. The only device that I had with me was my Kindle and my phone. And uh, I, I managed to get by. Uh, internet was pretty spotty. Even even um, the 4G was um, quite bad where we lived. So I had very, very slow internet. But that also helped me to take a break from you know, the frenzy of, uh, uh, of providing you with content and updating. The only thing that I did every evening, I posted some photos and, um, and that was, that was fun to do. And I did two, I did two YouTube live streams on top of huge mountains, which was insane. I discovered that I had great reception on top of that mountain, much better than, than in the valley below. So I, I tried one live stream and then a couple of days later, uh, actually on the last day of my vacation, I, I, I did a, another hike up a huge mountain. And I was able to stream live from the abyss there. And uh, if you've missed that, just check out my YouTube page over at youtube.com slash Father Roderick. That's where you can find those two live streams. And that's also where I'll post some more stuff in the future. And with that, it's time to get things going on this show because, of course, when you are away, the world keeps on turning and um, news keeps on breaking. So there are a lot of topics I want to talk with you about. Uh, one of which, of course, is always the world of movies and TV shows. And I just want to give you a short uh, summary of what I've been able to watch, what kind of movies I watched while I was away. And uh, not real recent movies, but some classic ones. And uh, they're still great. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. Now I'm going to give it to you. This, this movie tune always had a bit of a James Bond vibe to, to my ears. I've been using this for 15 years, I think, this, this single tune. Some of these, these jingles that you hear in the show are as old as, as I am in terms of podcasting. Um, and uh, speaking of, of, of James Bond, that is one of the movies, or the, we, we watched three movies, three James Bond movies together on a small TV in the, the house that we rented in, in Ireland, in the uh, county of Leitrim. We were close to Fina, the small town of Fina. And uh, there was this small TV, and it had a DVD player. Plus, they had some movies for us to watch, and one, one of those movie boxes uh, consisted of the three first movies um, of, the let's say, the more recent James Bond. Um, so it was Casino Royale... Um, What's the second one? Casino Royale. And it ended with Skyfall. What's the middle? I always forget the middle one because, it's, in my opinion, it was really the least interesting uh, uh, movie. Casino Royale and uh, Skyfall. What's the one in between? Uh, okay. 
Quantum of Solace. It's just such a weird title as well, Quantum of Solace. Um, that's the only movie that I fell asleep, uh, during, dur- during which I fell asleep. Uh, but I truly enjoyed Casino Royale much more than the first time I saw that. I saw it in the movies. And I don't think I've ever seen it afterwards. But it was so much better than I remembered. And there these, I mean, it's all about the poker game. And this is based, I think, on the first novel that Ian, Ian Fleming wrote. Uh, and it's, it kind of feels very static as a story. James Bond has to win uh, a poker a high-stakes poker game in order to um, kind of get into the loop with these criminals or whatever, uncover their criminal organization, etc. But then he gets poisoned, and there are so many like breaks in the, in the poker game. Um, and it has a, a very unexpected finale in the city of Venice, which is partially CGI because uh, buildings start crumbling, etc. And it has a very emotional ending, which is, uh, at the time, was kind of new for, for the James Bond genre, that, that there is a continuity in, um, let's say, character building. And uh, James Bond loses someone that he cares for, and he's betrayed by her, and that carries over into the next couple of movies. And that's an interesting, kind of more modern thing that they introduced in the in the James Bond uh, series. Of course, after Skyfall, there is Spectre, but we didn't find this, the DVD of that. So I, I want to go back now and, and, and rewatch it again. And of course, as we speak, they are filming another uh, episode of um, of of the, this, this James Bond, this particular James Bond series. So I, w- I wonder if they're going to wrap up the story, if they're going to introduce like a successor to uh, the current James Bond. Uh, we don't know, but I'm looking forward to this ongoing story. Skyfall definitely was the best of the three. I love that story, um, especially the ending in Scotland with that house, like the old manor of, uh, of the Bond family where uh, they find there, there is uh, revealed to be a, a, a secret passageway for priests that would say mass at that chapel. And then when the house was attacked, they could escape through this uh, underground corridor, and that's what they use in a movie as well. So there are some interesting uh, Christian Catholic roots of, of, the, of the Bond mythology, which I found very interesting. And, 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 and it's a, just a very good movie. Uh, actor, acting is great. Um, the, the, the dialogue is amazing. It has nothing of that cheesiness that you sometimes uh, associate with uh, James Bond. Even though we had Father Henry watching with us, and Father Henry was a- always commenting on, well, well, that's impossible. And how can they? How can that car land there? And he, he was le- doing like a literal analysis of James Bond that we were co- constantly telling him, well, come on, shut up and enjoy the movie. It's a story. It's, it's James Bond. It's not supposed to make sense. It's supposed to be exciting. And well, I don't know. <laughs> He was muttering in his corner. And at, at the end, he was like, oh, well, I'm glad I've seen it. This was the first time that I watched a James Bond movie. So, well, I can I can take that off my bucket list. <laughs> but I'm not going to watch any other movies. And we were like, oh. <laughs> and then he made us watch the, the Godfather movie. Well, speaking of a movie that doesn't really... I mean, it's a classic movie, but it's so slow. Oh, my goodness. It was just the best way to fall asleep. That first, first um, movie uh, in, in the Godfather saga. I mean, it establishes all the main characters and the premises, but it is so old-fashioned, and it just goes that wedding at the start of the movie. It just takes like a half an hour, 
And then you've always got these scenes with you know that'll make you an offer you can't you can't refuse. <laughs> and it, it's got all the classic scenes, but in my mind it was such a short action movie. And then you watch the original, it's like, oh my goodness, just oh, re-edit this. Kind of take out an hour, and then it would work for modern audiences. But anyway, that's what Father Henry likes. So, uh, but that was that was fun. We didn't watch any other TV um, or or movies while we were there. Well, internet was spotty, so I couldn't watch anything online. Um, however, during these past three weeks, I've been watching a little bit more on Netflix while I was at home. So before I left, I started watching uh, a, a series that's actually geared towards children, but I was curious enough to check it out. And it's Lego Ninjago. Now, Lego, of course, has been growing tremendously over the past few years because of their alliances with big brands. They did all sorts of sets based on popular franchises. Star Wars is their most successful uh, product line ever. They made a ton of money just by making over and over and over again these Star Wars sets. Not all of them very good. I, I dislike a lot of those Star Wars sets because their yeah, play value is kind of low. Uh, it's all about the minifigures, but then, I don't know. Uh, but there are also some exe uh, exemptions to that. Uh, for instance, the, the Slave 1 collector's edition that I built uh, myself on YouTube uh, a couple of weeks ago. I really love what they did there. And I have got some more Star Wars builds to come, one of which hopefully is going to be the Death Star that I will build live on YouTube. So make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel over at youtube.com slash fatherroderick if you're interested in, in watching me build that Death Star. It won't be next week, but it's definitely on my list for, well, this summer period. Um, but of course, uh, Lego has been striking deals also with more modern franchises like Overwatch. And the problem is always those sets featuring, I don't know, The Hobbit or Star Wars or superheroes are always more expensive. You can actually break that down into cost per piece and you always pay a premium for those licensed sets because, of course, they have to pay the license, license holders. So Lego was trying to develop their own intellectual property, uh, develop their own storylines, and they did two main... Uh, they developed two main brands, and I've got the Lego catalog here. There are actually three brands uh, uh, that uh, enabled them to have their, uh, the intellectual property rights themselves so they could um, make more money, and also the sets are a little bit cheaper. Uh, one of the most well-known franchises, of course, is the Lego movie. Uh, the first one was a major breakthrough, uh, a massive success. Also, in terms of the sets that they were able to sell. They tried to repeat that with the Lego Movie 2 that I reviewed not so long ago on this show. But it was much less, less successful, and I don't think they sold m uh, many Lego sets built on, uh, based on that second movie. Uh, they're all on sale right now, sometimes 70% off. So that is definitely a clearance sale, kind of indicating that it didn't work that well. The other uh, franchise that they developed was Ninjago. And I only knew Lego Ninjago from my nephews, who are big fans of, of the Lego Ninjago franchise. Um, and it didn't really speak to me. It was all these, these kind of these fighting scenes and these masked ninjas. And it looked a bit, I don't know, generic. But then I saw an advertisement for, um, for a Ninjago set 
that intrigued me, not because of Ninjago, but because of the building techniques it used. It's based on the Ninjago movie that I tried to watch, and I stopped watching it after a minute or ten because I just didn't get the story. You miss all the... They, they did like nine seasons of TV, like rather cheaply produced TV shows or TV uh, uh, seasons to develop this Ninjago backstory. And so it tells the story about four kids, basically teenagers, that want to become... Teen, uh, teenage ninja, not turtles, they're just ninjas. And they're taught by uh, a wise master, which definitely has some, some you know, references to Yoda. He, he's got, even his voice is a bit, little bit like Yoda, and there are some, actually some, some, um, some jokes, some inside jokes there that you will get if, you, if you're a Star Wars fan. So that's, that's funny. They kind of play with that. Um, and they have to discover their inner strength, their, uh, how do they call that in the series, their ultimate uh, power, their true self, blah, blah, blah. And only then they become true Jedi, so it's, or Jedi, ninjas. <laughs> it's the same thing. Basically, they have to let go of uh, things that hold them back. They have to become themselves. It's a bit, you know, predictable, but it works in, in the context of the story. It's, it's a bit of, um, I don't know. It, it's not really educational, but it's meant to be a, a story with a certain with morals, with certain moral values. Um, and uh, but did, since I didn't watch the the original series because it's really geared towards kids, I didn't get the Ninjago movie. But I saw this this set that was heavily discounted. I think it was like forty percent off or something like that. And it's basically one of the buildings. That represents Ninjago City, which is kind of this this Oriental Jap- Japanese slash Chinese city, uh, with a lot of modern elements as well. So it's kind of New York meets Shanghai, and uh, the set looks really cool and has a lot of different uh, uh, rooms and. There's so much happening in that set, and that's the kind of Lego I've discovered that over the over the years or over the months, I should say. I'm not. I've I've only been building bigger Lego sets for for a short time now, but I I've noticed that what I like building most are are builds that have all these stories, little stories as part of the entire build. Like my favorite build so far was definitely the Hogwarts castle because. Every room that you build or parts of the tower all refer to parts of the story that you know and love. And so building the castle is like reliving that story. And that's why I enjoyed it so much. And with Ninjago, I saw this build of of Ninjago City. And I decided to buy it because it's... Even if I am not going to keep it, it is a good investment because it's never been this this low in price and you can always resell it secondhand and still get most of your money back, if not more, because these sets sometimes just go out of... uh, um, They're no longer available anymore and then collectors try to get them and you can sometimes even make money by selling your old sets. Uh, It's uh, I'm still waiting for it to arrive, but in the meantime, I'm watching this Ninjago series to kind of help me get into the story and it's actually surprisingly good i've i've now finished the first season and it is i would say it it has a more than one similarity to the uh to the star wars animated series the clone wars and um the more recently the what is it our star wars rebels um or that last one with the 
pilots. Um, so it's geared towards children, but it has enough elements in it that make it enjoyable as well for just for parents as well. I'm not a parent, but um, it, it's something you can watch with your children. And, and, and as I said, it is. It's meant to be a bit educational. It's uh, there are some themes in that series that are worth talking about with your kids. So I would recommend this to parents if they want to check out something that is, well, it's it's cartoon violence, of course. It's about these ninjas, but it's also creative because it, it there's a lot of Lego based on the Ninjago series. So it's something that 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 could become a, a good topic of uh, a conversation with with kids. Um, so in that respect, I'm, I'm really enjoying uh, discovering this Ninjago world and the storytelling that LEGO is doing. And then the third, the final uh, franchise that they've recently launched is also very interesting, but more from a technical point of view. Let me look in the, in the, um, the catalog. This is, by the way, is a very special catalog because it comes with an app. And the app, you can install that on most recent phones. What it does is it, it, you can point the camera at the pages in in the um, catalog, and it and and the the stuff that you see on the page will come alive. It will be there in AR, uh, and and so for instance, if you have uh, I don't know the spaceship of the Lego Two movie, it will all, some, uh, if you look at it through your phone, it the spaceship will suddenly hover over the page, and you can turn around it, and and there are little animations. It's very well done. And this is a technique that they've also implemented in um, uh, one of their most recent lines. I'm trying to find that in the catalog, but for some reason I can't find it. It's this um, kind of ghost stories uh, franchise. It's not Fantastic Beasts, not Jurassic World, Speed Champions, Minecraft, Ninjago. I don't see it in this one. That's interesting. Maybe it's only in the second catalog. They always have two catalogs per year. It's the Hidden Side franchise. Anyway, I'll, I'll briefly tell you what it is. So you've got these um, kind of like ghost stories that they tell. So there's this, ghost, this spooky house or a train that is possessed. And you build the set. And this is pretty innovative. You build the set. You put it on the table in front of you. You point your app, your Lego AR app to it. And all of a sudden, it will turn into a game. And you see your build surrounded by an AR background and foreground. You've got ghosts coming out of windows and you have to shoot them. And it's a very simple gameplay. But it's so in innovative that, that uh, the AR app can see what you've built, recognizes the build, and and it enhances it with digital animations. It's still in its early stage, but you can see the potential of combining Lego with uh, with AR elements. And, and, and of course, it, it makes the experience of building a build so much more fun because you know that what you've built is only one part of the fun you're going to get. Uh, the app adds, literally adds, and then another reality, another layer of reality to what you've built. And and this is done with very limited technical abilities, of course. But imagine in a few years from now when we have our AR uh, glasses or whatever, and we can do this in 3D. And and this would work with with a lot lots of toys. Imagine that. Now, the downside of that, of course, is that it takes away from your own imagination. What I loved as a child 
while playing with Lego was you could invent your own stories. You would have your minifigures and you would play these stories. Now you have children pointing at it with an app and the app tells you this, what to do. And, and So I'm not sure if that will limit children's imagination. On the other hand, you know, kids just want to have fun. And, and this is something that really blends the technology that kids grow up with nowadays. I mean, lots of kids have their tablets. My, my youngest nephew, Ezra, is always playing with a tablet, always building stuff in Minecraft, in VR. And so I guess this is just a very smart, clever way of Lego to uh, combine this new franchise. So to, to keep selling the toys, but add value to it, it for, for the digital generation. And then finally, uh, two more uh, movies that I uh, checked out on uh, on Netflix. Uh, we've got The Great Hack, which is a documentary. I haven't finished watching it, but it's literally a scary story. It tells the story of uh, Cambridge Analytics and the way that they uh, abused the data that Facebook was selling them to influence political uh procedures and processes in the United States and elsewhere in the world. And the documentary is very well done. It gives you uh, kind of a behind-the-scenes view of what happened during the American elections um, and also Brexit, which is something that we were confronted with during our vacation in, in, uh, in Ireland all the time because Brexit, of course, was a highly manipulated process, this... this, this uh, uh, there were there, there uh, Cambridge Analytics was helping the local parties that wanted this Brexit to micro-target people, bombard them with uh, with videos with um, uh, pro-Brexit uh, propaganda, and it worked. It totally worked. It succeeded, and now a lot of people in Great Britain, but also in Ireland, are are waiting for this doomsday scenario of a Brexit without a deal with the rest of the European Union, and that is going to have massive consequences for the economy, for the stability of Europe, and also for tourism, because we were still able to cross the border with Northern Ireland without any problems. You don't even notice that you're no longer in Ireland itself, if not for the the street names and the, the, the names of the towns, which were no longer in two languages, no longer in Gaelic, only in English. But the rest of Northern Ireland looks like Ireland. <laughs> but once Brexit is there, then, you know, they should. what are they going to do with those borders? And how easy will it still be to visit uh, um, uh, Ireland? And to uh, what will it do to the Irish economy? What will it do to the Scottish economy? This is going to be a major, major headache for, and already is a major headache, for both for the UK and for, uh, for Europe. And we haven't seen the last of the consequences yet. But this documentary, The Great Hack, shows you how much of that process was man- manipulated and, and people were being manipulated. And, and, uh, and uh, it's, it's a very, very scary documentary because you know that we are the commodity in this whole process, we are giving away so much of our uh, preferences, our likes. Our you know, Facebook is always playing uh, the innocent. Like oh, we had no idea that all this was happening, and we promise that we'll never do it again. And then, and then two weeks later, there's a new scandal, a new data leak. And it's not just Facebook, Amazon, Google. They're all doing this. 
um, Amazon is selling you so much, and, and, and it works. I mean, I buy my all my stuff on 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 Amazon um, because they know so much about you. And this documentary, I think, makes the case for uh, much more uh, kind of a rethinking of what happens to our personal data, and and basically asks for morality in this. We need moral values that guide this, not just economic values. It's not just about making the most money or having the biggest electoral success. There is something about the privacy of people and helping them make make well-informed choices. And you can't make well-informed choices if the media that we use just know what 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 who we are and how to manipulate us and we don't get a, a good objective view of of reality anymore everything we see we see is spin everything we see is doctored with the deep fakes there's so much going on that makes it makes it harder for us to make the right choice because for the, to make the right choices you need to inform your conscience you need to have objective information or at least multiple sources of information but these manipulative processes that are mostly based on you know how to make the most money are not there to inform us uh for the best they're the how they're pushing us into a direction so it, it's all about i think media uh media awareness we need to teach our children we need to teach ourselves how to deal with this new era of communication, but also of miscommunication. And a lot depends on it. And that, that kind of leads into the next part uh, that I want to talk about uh, here on the show, and that's the Peculiar Munch. Rock. Here on the Peculiar Munch, we're always talking about things that you may not be that familiar with. Catholic stuff, for instance. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. Oh, meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Today I want to address this these dramatic times in the United States with the mass shootings three in a row. Man, what do you think of that? You got more crazy rules than blockbuster video. Now, I don't know, of course, when you're listening to this, but when I'm recording this, this is just comes on the heels of, of three mass shootings in the United States. One was during a garlic food festival, and then two more, uh, 24 hours, uh, not even 24 hours apart, uh, mass shootings in uh, one in a mall and one, I don't recall, don't recall the details. And it's just uh, another... Uh, it's it's a repeat of what we've seen time and again. Always these attacks, and of course, this is what we see on TV. But let's not forget about all these uh, attacks happening in the Middle East, in in parts of Africa, uh, attacks against Christians, uh, against priests, or priests being murdered almost on a daily basis in some parts of the world. So there is a lot that we see, a lot that we don't see, and every time we, it looks like a rinse and repeat. How do we deal with that? How how do Catholics deal with that? Does does the Catholic Church say anything about, for instance, about arms, about the right to, to wear arms, about gun control? Is that something that that the Catholic Church should speak up about, or is it something that the Church should not interfere with because it's well, 
it's state, you know, it's not it's not a faith thing, and bishops should mind their own business. It's that's some unfortunately something that you read a lot uh, whenever uh, the church speaks out on on social issues, uh, on on violence, uh, on war, on the environment. Very often. The criticism is very harsh, very violent. It's like, shut up. This is not something that a church should interfere with. And that's not just criticism coming from non-believers, but also from believers. There is a lot of polarization in some parts of the, of the church, in some Christian circles. And it's almost as if you can't say anything anymore. Because the moment you say something, you speak your mind, based on what you know, which can always be limited, you always have to be careful in what you say, but it's as if it triggers this aggression. It's like, well, don't tell me anything I don't want to hear or don't agree with. That if the moment you say something I don't agree with, you're my enemy. That, I think, is a massive problem in our culture, in our society today. The moment we, we can't listen to someone else anymore, the moment we can't have the courtesy to let the other person express his or her opinion, even if it's a different opinion from mine, or or especially when it is a different opinion of mine, I don't learn anything anymore. I don't question my own identity anymore. And we as a society don't grow closer to each other anymore. Because before we can empathize with the way someone else looks at the world or looks at himself, we have already built a wall. We've already you know, taken out our gun and was like, don't get any closer. I don't want to hear. La, la, la. I'm closing my ears and my eyes. And that is something that is absolutely not part of the Catholic uh, worldview or the view on how we should interact. Jesus himself gives us the example of listening to his adversaries, of, of talking to his adversaries, of debating with his adversaries. There are so many people that come towards him and try to uh, to get him to say something stupid or um, to lure him into uh, um, a controversy, trying to kill him even. Uh, but every time you see that Jesus listens, he tells stories, he mirrors uh, uh, with stories, he mirrors the position of of, of his opponent. But he always helps people think about where where am I in this story? Should I perhaps change my point of view? Should I convert? Should I change my my ways? The only way in which you can change people is by by having this open conversation, by uh, not pulling out your guns, and that is, I think, the the, the big issue right now. And it, it, it kind of ties into the previous topic that I addressed with this misinformation, this huge data manipulation that takes place that we're only partially aware of, where without really realizing we're more and more inside this bubble and we don't, we don't hear, we don't encounter anyone else anymore that is outside of our, our view of the world. And so it makes us lazy. It, it, it prevents us from thinking. It prevents us from placing us in other people's reality um it 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 prevents us from sometimes from seeing what is happening around us we think we see what's happening because well hey we see it on tv but what we don't know is how much we don't see 
I just just a few minutes ago, I mentioned, for instance, the the massive persecution of Christians in some parts of the world. We see nothing of that. There are no cameras there. There are no journalists there. Um, but it's happening. And if we would see every attack that happened on Christians, we, you, it would be the first thing to open every news bulletin. But we don't. And that's a bad thing. And our algorithms, our news algorithms, would just filter it out even if there, that information was available. We just get to see what we have liked before and what can, you know, help us uh, spend more. Or And I don't, I don't have a, an answer to this. I don't know exactly what to do about this. But what, what I noticed in the fallout of those mass shootings in the United States was, again... This controversy online, the way people talk about each other, politicize things, start to blame everyone, instead of first listening to each other, trying to find a way out of this situation that is beyond politics. And um, if you look at the catechism um, and what catechism says about gun control, for instance, there's not much you will find. The catechism is very... I'm talking about the catechism of the Catholic Church. It's very critical when it comes to arms traffic, trafficking. So people making money on selling arms to sometimes opposite parties. And the only thing that matters to them is to make the most money possible. They don't worry about how those arms will be used. And oftentimes uh, those those parties are trying to... Um, uh, brush up their image, and also sometimes put people asleep by saying, uh, just recently I heard someone say that, I don't remember who, it's like, it's not, it's not the, it's, it's not the gun that fires itself, it's the person, it's the lunatic behind the gun, it's like, as if the fact that those guns are available doesn't play a role in this. <laughs> it's it, of course it, that matters, and then uh, the what you see time and time and again, they're gonna pl blame it on video games, or they say, it's, "Well, it's just this person is mentally disturbed." Yeah, but that person is mentally disturbed and has access to weapons, so there is definitely something. So the the catechism talks about the right to self defense. And even you, the use of lethal force in defending, for instance, your family or your own life. Um, but it doesn't talk about gun control, maybe because it's so obvious that that is something that you should strive towards. Um, the big difference between, and I'm, I'm talking as European, but we have video games. We have mentally disturbed people running around. The difference with the United States is they don't have access to to these these weapons, to these automated rifles, to limitless uh, ammunition. So, and, and we don't have mass shootings at this scale. We have terrorist attacks. We don't have these crazy people just going around shooting 10, 20 people, young and old, in a mall. It's It's... So something needs to happen. But before something can change, you need to have the will to listen to each other, the will to listen to the victims, and the will to figure out a future. And, and that is, I think, where the catechism of the Catholic Church is much more uh, relevant on a, in, a, in a broader way when it talks about peace and building a culture of peace. And building a culture of peace is not just about gun control. 
It starts way before that. It starts about our, our virtual guns that we shoot at each other in debates, in our comments on Facebook. And, and, and that's something we should ask ourselves. How often have we been violent in discussions? We're not using guns, we're using words, and words can hurt. Words can really cause massive damage. So how often have I been shooting, shooting off my, my opinion, my worldview, as if it was a gun, without first seeking to find common ground? That, those are the questions that we need to ask ourselves as a society. And we also have to be, I think, much more critical towards the role that media play and, and social platforms like Facebook play in, in, in bringing people together. When, when uh, Zuckerberg says that it is it's my role, it's always been my dream to bring people together with our platform, he's only telling a partial truth. He's omitting the fact that his company has grown rich over controversies. The algorithms are triggered by violence, by, by not by the like, but by the angry faces and the tear faces that you put on, on those posts. It's, it's by, by controversy, by anything that stokes up anger, resentment, aggression. That is what makes people riled up and makes people want to invest time in, in the platform. Uh, the voice of, of goodness, the voice of peace whispers, and the voice of aggression and violence yells and screams. And that's where Facebook is tempted to make most of its money. And I think that needs to change. And the only way it can change is if, if we as users change. If we don't let ourselves be triggered by by everything that is targeted at us to make us angry. Because anger leads to the dark side. Yoda says it, and it's so true. It does not lead to a better world. Anger, aggression, hatred. And, and, and that's so true as well on a religious level. And when I see how Christians and Catholics treat each other online, I'm thinking we're so far away from what Jesus preached. And there is no excuse for that. <laughs> we are challenged to do better and to have more patience with each other. And instead of, of persecuting each other with words or sometimes with weapons, we are called to love each other, to forgive each other, to try to understand each other. But that is not what I see happening in Christian circles online. And it pains me. It makes me very sad. And um, But it's, it, well... It's the world in which we live. And what I, can, I can't change these big processes. I can't change Facebook's algorithms. What I can change is my behavior and, and my online behavior and the way I treat other people in my podcasts, in my YouTube conversations, in the way I comment. Um, and that's something I can do, and that will impact people, perhaps not everyone, but it will have a small effect. But Big effects, big changes in society are caused by small, cho small choices, by individuals that do the right thing. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? Let's talk about books. And whoa, I did a lot of reading while I was on vacation in Ireland. I did a lot of audio reading. I tried to do a little bit of uh, reading on my Kindle but um, uh, 
it's hard to concentrate. <laughs> and I was on vacation with three other priests, so there's always something to do. If we weren't on, on a tour or visiting an old castle or a, an abbey or, uh, or we were hiking in the mountains, then we had to cook or, or, or celebrate mass, uh, do the dishes. So there was always something. But the big advantage of audiobooks is you can listen to them while you're on a hike, while I'm climbing this mountain. I'm at the same time in Middle Earth. And that, because I was, I've been reading the, one of the best books that I've ever read about the movie industry. I've already mentioned it in one of my previous episodes. It's called Anything You Can Imagine, Peter Jackson and the Making of Middle Earth. It's uh, written by Ian Nathan, who is a, uh, a collaborator, an editor of the famous empire magazine and empire is a very highly respected film magazine it is excellent both visually uh, photographs are beautiful they have the most amazing interviews the writing is amazing um, but also their podcast if you are not listening to the empire movie podcast yet go check it out you will not regret it it is one of the best movie podcasts that i know um and one of their editors has written a couple of books uh, now, uh, and, and one of his latest is about the making of Middle-earth. It tells the story of how the Lord of the Rings trilogy came about. And as I said last time I mentioned it, and I hadn't finished the book yet, it is a very meticulous analysis of how, how these movies were made and also almost... Uh, <sighs> A love letter to to fate in a certain way, to, to to I would say to providence, because these movies could have been so different, and and actually there is there is so much that that went wrong and that could have gone wrong that it is a miracle that the Lord of the Rings movies were ever made. Um, it's a fascinating uh, behind the scenes look into mostly the 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 adventures of Peter Jackson. And, uh, and the people surrounding him. It also tells a lot of stories that I didn't know about the actors and how they uh, experienced uh, the, this, this three-year process of making these movies. They were filmed back-to-back, out of sequence. It is totally impossible what they pulled off, but they did pull it off. And, and listening to that, to that and that's this, this is like 60%, 70% of the book is about the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, it makes you appreciate the movies so much more. Now that you're re-watching it, knowing how they did it, unbelievable. And then the last part of the book is, is about The Hobbit and about how that those three movies came about. And it also gave me a lot of new information that I hadn't heard anywhere else. I always assumed that, for instance, the choice to make three movies instead of two was made by the uh, studios. And that Peter Jackson was kind of forced to to reshuffle everything and 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 redo it in three movies. That is not what happened. It was Peter Jackson himself who, while they were writing the script for those two movies, was like, "Well, we have so much to tell that I think this could be three movies. And what if we structure it like this and we do this and that and that? It, it, it we can do we can do three movies and it was Peter Jackson who who proposed it to the studios and Warner was of course so yeah by all means yeah go ahead and do it and 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 the, the Hobbit uh, movies the Hobbit trilogy has a bad reputation and I don't think it's entirely justified a lot of people now in hindsight say well it's just too much butter spread over you know too much uh, too little butter spread out over too much toast but 
it's actually pretty amazing what they were able to do and how they expanded the movie using a lot of the appendices, uh, a lot of creative, uh, a lot of creativity. There's a lot of writing kind of based on very small events that are mentioned in the book. But then it's like with all this knowledge of the Lord of the Rings, well, what what if we tell this this short event in the book and 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 tell it as if this was the Lord of the Rings. And uh, Peter Jackson, of course, is, is constantly trying to balance the kind of the more fairy tale-like nature of the original story, which was written as a bedtime story, with the expanded universe that Tolkien created afterwards. And that is still canonically part of the events of The Hobbit. And if you look at how these movies were made, Peter Jackson was not at all planning on filming this thing. Um, he stepped in at the very last moment when everything got delayed because of rights issues, etc. And he stepped in and pulled it off and made three movies. And the second movie, I really liked the second movie. He considers that to be the weakest movie of the bunch. He actually is most proud of what he did in the third movie, which a lot of Tolkien fans would say is the, is the weakest one because it's, you know, the Battle of Five Armies. It's kind of long, long-winded. But... He says, as a uh, that was the movie where I finally felt that I had a grip on on the story that I wanted to tell. Whereas the second movie, I was just leaning on the quality of the actors, and that that second movie is saved by the by the incredible talent of everyone involved. And it's so interesting to hear all those backstories, and even even the Hobbit trilogy. It's I'm definitely not on, on on the same level as the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but knowing what I know now, having read this book, I have so much esteem for what they were able to pull off. And I'm so happy. I'm so happy that Peter Jackson took over the reins because they also tell you what the movies would have looked like uh, under Guillermo del Toro. The, the, the book gives you so much insight in what Guillermo was was going to do with those movies, and it's pure horror. I'm so glad. I mean, he wanted to do, like, sky replacement and, and make, like, these funky colored skies so that it would look more like a fantasy world. He uh, wanted to turn orcs into, into droidicas. I'm not kidding you. The droidicas from the prequels of Star Wars, he wanted to do something like that. That, that. The orcs would just roll up in armor that could be like a bouncing ball and then all of a sudden they would, uh, all their weapons would fly out and they would turn into these fighting machines. So much bad taste, so many horrible, like the the way the dwarves would look, it was so nightmarish, really. So I'm just so thankful that, that Peter Jackson took over and he was like, okay, well, let's go redo some of the artwork and, you know, let's let's not use everything that Guillermo planned on doing. I think I think we would have all been horrified by Guillermo del Toro. It would have been such a massive break in continuity with the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Whereas now, even though there's a lot of criticism that you can have on, on the Hobbit trilogy, but at least it's a visual continuity. Uh, the storytelling is very similar. Uh, the music is, is similar. The art I mean, there is so much to enjoy there. And it's like it's like Star Wars. I'm not a big fan of the prequels, but I'm glad they're there. And they do enhance the original trilogy. 
just as Rogue One did, just as Solo did. And I, I appreciate it for that. It makes me enjoy 4, 5, and 6 so much more. And in a way, The Hobbit does the same to the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. It makes me admire the Lord of the Rings even more when you see how much had to happen to, to make these, these six movies a reality. I'm still apprehensive about the Amazon Prime series that they're going to do. They just released a trailer, by the way, which is fascinating. Do you see that as a teaser trailer? And it presents the creative team behind this upcoming Second Age television series. And it's meant, I think, to reassure the fans that, that they have some quality people involved, and that's absolutely the fact. Um, I was... Very happy that at least the artwork will be uh, in continuity with uh, what they did in the the existing movies. But at the same time, what this book tells me is that even with the best people involved, you can still end up with nothing. And you can, because they also tell the story of uh, Immortal Engines, for instance. Uh, A lot of the other, uh, King Kong even, which was a moderate success, but it wasn't a cash, the box office cash hit that everyone thought it would be. So even Peter Jackson can, you know, cannot always repeat the success of his uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy. And that that is true, of course, also of the Amazon series. It may have all the right ingredients and it may still taste in such a way that we're like, well, nah. Only time will tell. But I am, I'm grateful for what we've seen of Middle-earth so far. I'm very eager to see what they're going to do with this new series in the second age. And the more middle-aged, the merrier. As long as it's not a Guillermo Toro version of Middle-earth. <laughs> I don't think I could, uh, I could survive that. All right, let's talk a little bit about another franchise that is coming to our small screens. Also on, well, not on Amazon Prime, but on Netflix. And the trailer just broke while I was on vacation, so I haven't been able to talk about it yet. But we need to talk about it now, because it is Picard, and he's back, and it's awesome. I see aliens. Little aliens from outer space. And how are things in outer Plutonia? How many times have I told you not to wear your space boots in the house? Go to shape. I mean, you can donate my body to science fiction. Get your suit on! We need you! We already had a few uh, seconds of a a teaser, teaser, teaser trailer, but now we have the official teaser, full trailer of Star Trek Picard. And oh my goodness, it is everything I hoped it would be. You see in the in the first few shots, you see um, Picard in his French vineyard. Two decades ago, Commander Data sacrificed his life for me. And we see his life in France there. And he tried to belong there, but... But it never truly felt like home. It didn't feel like home. Because, of course, Picard belongs on the bridge of a spaceship he needs to be the picard we all remember and this trailer really brings him back so what i loved here is that this is perfect continuity with the events in star trek nemesis by the way one of my least favorite star trek movies ever i did not like that storyline at all but at least they respect the continuity of that story 
Data uh, has sacrificed himself. Uh, remember, he blew himself up with the ship to save uh, Picard, who he beamed out r- right before uh, he could intervene. And um, and now we see parts of Data. Well, this can't be the Data that blew himself up uh, because the parts wouldn't look this good. So this is probably going to be the copy of Data. Uh, forgot the name of the, the droid uh, that carries actually all the memories of Data himself. Um so, but there is also a scene at the end of this trailer where we see Picard, old Picard, playing cards, playing poker with what looks like Data. So it's going to be very interesting. Bre- uh, Spiner has said at Comic-Con where the, this trailer broke that he is part of the story, but it's not an integral part. So it, this may just be a flashback or something like that. Um, but it's, it's, it's so cool to see Brent Spiner back as Data, if only for a flashback. I don't care. He's back. And that's not just the only actor that is going to be back. We'll get to that a little later on. First, we get introduced to a new character. Do you know who I am? No, we don't. inside of me says that I'm safe with you. Admiral, I have encountered a woman. She came to me for help. If she is who I think she is... She's in serious danger. Now this, trailer-wise, storytelling-wise, is a very important uh, segment. This is what we call the call to action. So we first see Picard in what looks like a very peaceful vineyard. He's happy there. He's got a dog, by the way, who he calls number one. That is so cool, especially because we know that Riker is going to be back. (laughs) And... uh, there's probably going to be a series. I'm thinking they're going to do the the Indiana Jones joke, where Indiana Jones discovers that he's named after the dog by his dad. <laughs> so that may be something that they do here as well. But Picard is in a state of, you know, he's retired. There, his life is over. It's kind of the situation that you know, Picard as a character was in, in stasis. We've seen The Next Generation, we've seen the Star Trek movies, and and, and we know nothing about the future of, of Picard. So he, he's in France, and and yet something is not right. He looks up at the sky, which is also an iconic archetypal moment where it's like uh, almost a trope, looking at the skies, that's where I belong, that's where my home is. And then, of course, you need to be you need to be brought back into the adventure. And that is by the appearance of this mysterious woman. We don't know who she is, but we know that she's important enough that Picard visits uh, Starfleet headquarters. I think that's in in, in uh, San Francisco. And he speaks with his admiral uh, about this woman and knows that he has to intervene. Something is going on here, and we don't know what. So it's it also introducing mystery What's going on? What is disrupting the peace so much that Picard feels that he needs to respond to this call to action by taking part in this adventure? The trailer continues, coming soon. And we see Sometimes I worry that you have forgotten more who you are. of the background. Has Picard forgotten who he is? Do not. You can't do it alone. You need help. You need protection. You need a crew. Be the captain they remember. And in this part of the trailer, we get introduced to the new crew, the new companions, the travel companions, the fellowship of Captain Picard. 
I'm not sure if he's a captain here yet, but we get to introduce to a younger generation of uh, Starfleet personnel, and they are going to help Picard solving whatever is threatening the peace in the universe. We see Romulans. We see lots and lots of small references to uh, situations that we know from the next generation, from the movies. Um, there's a lot to take in here. What we also see is Borg technology. The Romulans are in this lab, and they're operating on someone who may or may not be a, a former Borg. One of the things we know from this new television series is that, remember there was this, this episode in The Next Generation where Picard frees one of the Borgs, kind of uh, succeeds in taking him out of the collective. And that was one of my favorite Borg-themed episodes. And, of course, Picard knows what it is to be a Borg. He's been a Borg. He's been assimilated himself. And so there's this one kind of free thinker inside this Borg collective that at the end of the episode takes off to lead another group of, of, of Borgs that are no longer part of the collective. Well, that actor is coming back. So it may be him on the operation table, who knows. And the Romulans are, are, are playing with that Borg technology. We also see another scene where um, Borgs, presumably Borgs are being held captive by Romulans and there's this sign that says, this facility has been without any assimilation for 5,000-something uh, days. A uh, very funny uh, uh, joke, of course, about, about you know this, this facility has been without a nuclear meltdown for five days, like in The Simpsons. Um, and so apparently the Romulans have been able to, to tame the Borg, but they may have actually, and this is a theme that is um, that you see also in in the Aliens franchise. They're trying to use that technology of the Borg for their own use, and that, of course, is very dangerous because that technology can link you to the collective, and then assimilation is going to be the next step. And and then that it totally makes sense to bring that into the story because of how traumatic those Borg days were for for captain picard and how much he hates the borg um so that is all uh the moment you see the borgs the moment you see the romulans and there are these spaceships that that are flying towards the red planet it made me think of the of the attack of the death star that we see where, where you have this famous shot of the x-wing fighters approaching yavin because they're flying uh towards the death star and it's an almost identical shot. But this time, it's got, I think, Romulan, new, like newer versions of the Romulan Warbirds or something like that. So we know this is a big story. And so Picard can't solve this himself. He's not a superhero. He's not Superman. He needs a crew. And that, I think, is so important in the trailer because that is what made the next generation so successful. It was not about Picard or not just about Picard, it was about Picard as a captain of his crew. And it's this interaction with the crew that made The Next Generation so incredibly good. Star Trek has always been an ensemble franchise where it's about the entire crew. And I can't wait to see how this crew will come together and how the interaction is going to be between Picard and the rest of the people on that, on that ship. The journey begins... She truly is. Let's see another actor. She's the end of all. She's the destroyer. 
he's the destroyer, and the last shot you see is a Borg cube. I mean that in Star Trek, in Star Trek universe, that is that is the Death Star. You know, it's like <gasps> she do- doesn't know who she is. She's the destruction of everything. So this girl has to do something with the Borg, and that sets the scene for this new series. And I was geeking out. I was like, this is so much better than I than I expected it to be. This feels like classic Star Trek. And now that I've seen this, I'm thinking this may become much more popular than Star Trek Discovery. Because this is this is bringing back all those next generation fans. It also brought back that's the final surprise of the trailer. One other character that made us all scream. And here she is. What the hell are you doing out here, Picard? Saving the galaxy? Seven of Nine is back! Engage. And that was just, that was the topping. That was the, the cherry on the cake. Engage, and you see the glee in his eyes. Like he loves to say that after all these years that he's been spending in in France. Finally, he says the word that we all wanted to hear: engage. And you see the twinkle in his eyes. I was like, I saw this, and like this is going to be the winning Star Trek series. Everyone will want to see this. I'm so happy that it's going to be on Netflix over here in Europe. <laughs> But oh my goodness, what this this was so fantastic, and we're gonna we're gonna have so much fun uh, as Star Trek fans. There's one last thing that I want to mention here. It's not science fiction; it's more fantasy. It's the Dark Crystal, as you know. There is a new series premiering at the end of this month of August on Netflix, and it's based on the wonderful movie The Dark Crystal. If you've never seen it, go watch it. And the trailer for that series has also hit uh, YouTube. It's amazing. It is totally, again, heralding back to the olden days of, of puppetry. And they did all, almost everything with practical effects. The puppets are real. They were built in the same way as the original puppets. This is a one big homage to uh, this this amazing movie that is The Dark Crystal. And I mean, don't we live in amazing times that we can just revive franchises as if no time has passed? You see the trailer for the series, and you're thinking, this is this is the same the same world that we know from the Dark Crystal. And you'll be surprised if you go watch and, and uh, go back and watch the Blu-ray of, uh, or even better, the 4K version of the Dark Crystal. You'll be amazed at how much, how well that holds up. It, it Because it's all puppets. It's so well done. There is a little bit of CGI, but it's only meant to enhance the puppetry. And uh, it looks glorious, and I can't wait to, uh, to watch it. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. 
There's one more thing before we can wrap up this slightly longer show. But hey, I've been off the air for three weeks now. And that is I wanted to give you a few more impressions of the phone that I purchased right before I went on vacation, the Zenfone, uh, Zenfone 6. It's now available uh, for pre-order in the United States. So this is something that you may want to consider because it's a really, really good phone. It is Android, and for me, this is the first time in a long, long time that I am no longer using an iPhone. Uh, I'm no longer using iOS. And I had used Android for a while on um, a phone, uh, the OnePlus One, the very first OnePlus phone that I bought a couple of years ago. But I always use that phone next to my iPhone, never in in, uh, instead of my iPhone. But now I've completely switched to Android as an operating system. And I have to say, it is, it's different from iOS. I sometimes miss the stability of iOS. There is something about that interface. This, it is very simple, but it just works. With Android, it's slightly more confusing. I have this app tray, and it's... Uh, I don't know. There, there are a few quirks that I have to get used to, but there are also a lot of things that, that, that Android does much better than iOS. Notifications are great. Um... There is a lot of customization that you can do. The App Store on Google Play is just as good as, uh, as iOS. But in addition to that, you can, if you want, and it's a risk, of course, but you can sideload stuff on, on an Android, which you cannot do on an iPhone. Um, most of the apps, the usual apps, are identical. I don't see any difference between Facebook on iOS or Facebook here on the Android or Twitter or WhatsApp or Instagram or YouTube. It's all similar um this phone is a hundred times faster than the iphone 6 that i had so that is a joy that everything is super fluid and i love having my entire screen without nudges without cameras the only camera that is available flips up if you need it as a front camera and it allows you to use the, the, the entire screen. And I, I did not realize how, how, how important that is and how, how easy on the eyes it is. My eyes are getting weaker because I'm getting older. Um, uh, I have no trouble reading on this phone uh, because it's so big. The entire front part of this camera, the, the entire screen is, is used. And I love that. I never want to go back to a phone with a notch or with huge borders, like the Pixel 4 that is coming out. Uh, it's, it, the design is leaked, and Google has crammed in a lot of new technology into that phone, but they hide it in this huge black border on top of the screen, and it is so dated and so old-fashioned. It's like um, the iPad. If you, if you look at the newer iPads and then you look at the older models with these huge borders, who wants to have an old model? I don't. But more, most importantly for me was the camera. And I've been using this camera extensively for photos. I love the wide angle on this. The wide angle, I used it for uh, most of my photos at daylight. It's not very good at, at low light, in low light situations. I did a bit of filming uh, in low light, and it, it has this very uh, strange-looking smoothing function where it denoises the picture, but it makes look, everything look plasticky especially the faces. 
So it's something that I try to avoid in low light situations, but in, in daylight, it is phenomenal. You can, you can take pictures, and I was in Ireland, of course, one of the most beautiful places on the planet, and you've got these beautiful landscapes, and if I took a picture with the wide angle, and even filming in wide angle, it looked so much better than with regular camera. Um, but it's also nice to have this quality camera. Um, I've, I, because you can zoom in with this. This is a 4K uh, uh, camera. So you can zoom in quite digitally without any loss of detail. Uh, and I've used that quite a bit as well. It does film in 30 frames per second, just like any other mobile device. I did purchase um, Filmic, which is a professional app. And it works really well with the phone. Um, that's it. Filmic Pro does not work with every phone um, because the phone needs to kind of open up its technology to the app, which is done through an interface, through an API. Uh, this phone does not do that, but it has. They have worked together with Filmic to uh, to give Filmic full control. What I did not realize, and that made it that was a bit of a downer, was that it, uh, the reason I wanted to use Filmic is that it, it enables me to film in 25 frames per second or 24 frames per second. So that is the frame rate they use on for f film, 40 to 24 frames per second, or for Dutch TV, 25 frames per second. If you want to down-convert 30 frames per second to 25, that is always a hassle, and it never yields good results. However, what I did not realize was that Filmic does not have access to the wide-angle camera, which for me was essential to film, especially to film uh, myself while I'm narrating a story or while I'm vlogging. So you can't access that widescreen camera. Plus, it cannot access the digital image stabilization. This phone does not have optical image stabilization like an iPhone, uh, where an, an optical means the lens itself is moving. Here, they all do that digitally, but they do it so well. I mean, I could film everything using the regular camera app without any f tripod or anything, and it's rock solid. The, I was filming, like I was, uh, the last walk, I was walking up this hill, and there's this tree, and it's got this beautiful composition, the tree in the foreground and the valley in the background. But I wanted to do a moving shot where I would go with the camera, I would pan around the tree to end up with a final frame. There is no way you can do that without a gimbal. And even then with a gimbal, it would be very tricky because I'm walking on very uneven ground. I filmed it anyway using the digital stabilization of the Asus Zenfone 6, and the shot looks phenomenal, as if it was filmed on, on train tracks. That's how stable it is. And many times I was able to pull off the most amazing camera move, moves just using the image stabilization. However, it's not available in Filmic Pro. So what I did after a few attempts, I switched back to the camera app and I was like, okay, let Adobe Premiere figure this out. I'm going to film this in 30 frames per second. So it, at least for my international uh, version, there will be no problem because uh, the um, frame rate on American, in NTSC, American television, is 60 frames per second. So 30 is half of that. So there's no problem converting up converting 30 to, to 60 frames per second. Uh, and now we'll just have to rely on the quality of the down conversion in Pro Adobe Premiere. 
to render this in 25 frames per second because I, I think I filmed enough to, to turn this into a television episode. Um, it will not be as good as, as if I had filmed this in 25 frames per second, but I think it will be good enough. It's so much better in down conversion than Avid has ever been and will ever be. So um, that's kind of my, again, a, a big thumbs up for this uh, Zenfone 6. What sold me on it was the price. This is only $4.99 for a phone that is superior in many aspects to, to the current iPhone 10 series. Not in everything, but in the things that matter to me, definitely. So it's a, a very good, not really low budget, but it's, it's a mid-range uh, uh, photo, uh, mid, I'm calling it a, uh, like a camera, but it is a, a mid-range phone with a fantastic camera um, and a fantastic screen for half the price you would pay for a, for a flagship phone that, that would have similar uh, properties. So that's it for today's episode of my show. Thank you so much for bearing with me. I'm about to record my after show for uh, the people that support me through Patreon. And if you want to support me as well, go check out patreon.com slash fatherroderick. And I'm happy with any form of support, even if it's just one buck a month. What matters to me is that you help me do this and that we're form a community around these shows. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon.